Well, happy anniversary, Front Range. Ten years. Man. <clears throat> It's been uh, pretty nostalgic thinking about uh, how, what God has done over the last 10 years, and I was just so grateful for you. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm grateful that you're here, whether you're joining us in person or joining us online. And man, uh, one of the best ways that we get to celebrate uh, our, our anniversary is by having baptisms next weekend. So if you're interested, man, this, this is what we're all about. It's all about life change and people pursuing Christ and taking faith steps and all of that. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you can get more information. Uh, you can see the information on the screen. You can check the baptism box on your card. We'd love to make that uh, a celebration next week with you if that's something that interests you. And man, over the last 10 years, people have asked me, like, what's the greatest thing? Uh, I was with a, a bunch of pastors this past week, and they knew we were celebrating our 10-year anniversary. And they're like, Ernest, what's the, what's the greatest thing that's happened over the last 10 years? I, got to, I could talk about like all the salvations and the number of people that have given their lives over to Christ. That's been incredible. I could talk about the healings that we've seen, like God doing complete miracles in our church, healing people of cancer. And I just talked to a lady right after last service, and she was like, Ernest, God is healing my cancer. Like, it's just crazy like to see what God has done there. God healing relationships and repairing relationships and bringing kids back to the faith and just all the things that we've been able to watch. But uh, when, I, when, I, when I think of the greatest thing, maybe not the best thing, but the greatest thing that's happened over the last 10 years, let me, let me just show you by a picture. So this is a picture of uh, <laughs> young Ernest. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? There's nothing funny about my, this picture. This is day one of the church. Uh, and then I thought I'd show you a selfie of me two weeks ago. This was me preaching here, uh, right there. <laughs> So who am I kidding? I can't grow facial hair like that. I tried. It didn't work. Uh, but that's probably the greatest thing. I got a lot more gray hairs now than I did back then. But I'm just so grateful for you, Front Range. Uh, I get the privilege of talking to pastors uh, all around the nation, all around the world every single week. Um, and I know how special this place is. Uh, God is doing something here. You guys are incredible. I'm just so grateful for each person that has been a part of our story. Uh, some of you have been a part since day one. Some of you, this is your first week. And then there's others of you watching online that you were part and God's taking you somewhere else. And I'm just so grateful for every person who's been a part of our story. And since day one, we've been a, a church that what we want to do is make sure that we are all about helping every person, no matter where they are in their faith journey, whether you feel close to the Lord or maybe you uh, feel like you're just starting this walk with Jesus or you know, maybe you've been struggling in your faith or maybe you're really far away from God, our desire is to have it start a church and to be a church that welcomes every person, no matter where you're at in your faith. And we do this by creating a welcoming environment, uh, a place where uh, hopefully you feel loved and known, and a place where you can pursue your faith and hopefully come to Christ and grow in that relationship with Jesus. And another thing we try to do is make sure that every topic that we hit on is straight from God's Word, that, that uh, God's Word is our compass. It guides us in what we discuss, what we look at, uh, the topics that we hit on, even topics that are taboo. We're starting a series right now called Taboo. We've done this series actually a few times, and we've hit on different subjects over the years that aren't typically talked about in the church or maybe talked about in our society. And uh, every time we do this series, it's super, super impactful. Um, and typically what we do with this series is we'll study uh, a book of the Bible. Like this past series, we just studied the beginning of Genesis. Um, uh, we usually will do that. That's usually how we guide through uh, what our messages are going to be. Uh, but for this series, we're going to look at people in the Bible. Because the Bible is made up of a lot of people who dealt with a lot of things. 
uh, who walked through a lot of um, uh, different issues in their lives. And so for this, gener- this topic of taboo, the, the overarching theme that we're looking at is mental health. That's kind of the, the big thing that we're looking at. It's a, a massive topic in our society right now. I'm thankful that it's less taboo now than it was five years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, but I still think in the church world, we have a long ways to go. Mental health includes emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It impacts how we think, how we feel, and what we do. Like when you're struggling mentally, when you have mental health challenges going on, it impacts everything, right? It impacts not just who you are and how you're feeling. It impacts your relationships with other people. It impacts how you choose to respond to things in your life. It impacts everything. And I would say it this way. I would say that every person in here, if you stick with us through this series, you're going to see that every one of us in here will find ourselves somewhere in one of these topics. If not, you're going to have at least somebody in your life that God wants to use you in their life for one of these topics. Let me look at some stats with you. Um, one in five adults experience mental health issues every year. One in five. Look around the room right here. That's a lot of us. That's a lot of us. One out of every five. Uh, one out of every five youth, ages 13 to 18. 13 to 18 years old, one out of every five uh, say that it's either right now or at some point in their life, they've experienced serious debilitating mental illness. 13 to 18-year-olds, one out of every five, serious, debilitating mental illness. And then the second leading cause of death for kids 10 to 14 is suicide. Right after accidental death, the number two is suicide, which breaks my heart. I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. And to know that they're dealing with that at such a young age and it should be something that wakes us up. It makes us go, okay, this is something we have to deal with, that we have to talk about. I think the mental health challenges that we face are much more than what these stats tell us. I mean, the stats are very specific in what they're trying to communicate to us. But I think if you actually take the, the true picture of mental health, this massive topic that we're going to be looking at and all the subjects that we're going to be dealing with, if you look at that, I think that every person in here can say, I can relate to that. And if not, then if you're being an intentional neighbor, if you're loving people that God has placed in your life well, then there's somebody in your life that God wants to use you for one of these topics, for one of these situations. Next week, we're going to look at anxiety. Then uh, week three, we're going to look at burnout and then negativity, depression, anger, and addiction. So probably you'll find yourself somewhere in all of that. Don't miss a week, please. Like, please don't miss a week of, uh, of this series because I promise you it will impact you and it will impact people in your life. Each week we're going to study a different person of the Bible, like I just mentioned. Um, and, and I love that because the Bible is full of very broken people. The Bible is not full of perfect people. It just has one perfect person who saves the rest of us. That's really what the Bible is all about. It's a bunch of broken people like me and like you that have messed up issues And there's one perfect one who saves us all. So we're going to be looking at their stories and what they went through. And you're going to see your story and their story. Today we're going to start by talking about two myths about mental health. Uh, Two myths that that we've been taught either in church or through society or in our family or something like that. Myth number one is Christians shouldn't struggle with mental health. Christians shouldn't struggle with mental health. 
That's been something that some churches have taught, some people have taught. I don't know what, 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 what you grew up in. Some of us, you grew up in a great home, in a great church. Um, others of us, we didn't grow up in, in, uh, in a great home or a great church. And, uh, but all of us have heard this myth at some, in some way, right? We're like, if you struggle with mental health, then, man, you might not be a believer, right? Like, you just have to have more faith or you just have to pray it away or you have to believe in God more, just rebuke Satan more. I mean, you just got to give up sin in your life. That's why you have some of the mental health issues that you do. But when you look in the Bible, you look at like these heroes in scripture and you realize that many of them dealt with mental health issues. You look, look at a guy like Elijah and Elijah was rejected by, by some of his peers and it was such a great impact on him that he became depressed and suicidal. He begged for God to kill him because he couldn't deal with the rejection. You look at a guy like King David. Uh, king David, the, the Jewish people would say, is the greatest king that they've ever had. If you ask a Jewish person to this day who's the greatest king in Israel's history, they would say King David. I mean, this guy, he's, he's, he's like the guy that everybody looks at. And David had a child that died very early on. He had another child that rejected him, and he went through massive, massive despair. You look at a guy like Jeremiah. Jeremiah's nickname was the weeping prophet. How would you like for that to be your nickname? Like, you're the weeping dad, you know? Like, that's not cool, you know? But he dealt with isolation. He dealt with loneliness. He dealt with insecurity. Here's what I know. You can love Jesus and still fight depression. You can faithfully read God's word and battle anxiety. You can love the church, and you can even sit in the front row or front few rows. And I know some of you are like, I'll never get up there that close because you spit. Yeah, I do. Sorry. <laughs> you can tithe faithfully. You can serve. You can do all of those things and still struggle to overcome trauma. You can have a great life. Like people love you. Things are going well. You make a lot of money. You love your job and all of those things and still feel very isolated very long, struggling. Mental health is something that hits all of us. And here's the reality. Jesus can save you from your sins. We firmly believe that. And there's some times where Jesus will heal you of things. And there's other times that you won't be healed on this side of heaven. And I don't get it. I don't know when that's going to happen, when that's not going to happen. But I just know it's the it's truth. But there's still hope. And so what I would say is if you struggle with mental health, it's not because you're not a good Christian. It's because you're human. There's hope for all of us. The second myth is this. Mental health struggles represent a lack of faith. They represent a lack of faith. This is more about the believing. Like if you deal with mental health, you just don't believe enough. You don't believe that God can. Like if you deal with depression, it's because you don't believe that God can actually heal you. If you actually believe that he can heal you, then you wouldn't struggle with it anymore. It's just not true. If you're dealing with depression, I, I'm a pastor, okay? I'm not a clinician. I can't diagnose you with depression or anything like that. So you may take what I say right now with a, a grain of salt, and that's totally fine. I'm speaking as a pastor. If you deal with something like depression, it's probably not because you don't have faith. In fact, maybe one of the greatest steps of faith that you can take is to thank God for medication and take it. Now, I'm not saying the medication fixes everything, okay? But I've had people that have come into our church and they didn't stay very long. 
Because I'm a firm believer that if God has given you something and it will help you, then you do it. Like that God, that God makes certain things and he makes people to do certain things and all of that. And I'm not saying that everything fixes everything, but I am saying that maybe the greatest act of faith that you can place in God is to go, God, thank you for this, and I'll receive that. If you've ever been told one of these lies, you're not a good Christian or you don't have enough faith, I'm sorry. Because I know what it does to you. I know the isolation, the judgment, the shame that you carry. And how what it does is it makes us like hold this stuff in instead of like putting it into the light and letting God deal with it. We like hold it because we feel shame. Maybe I don't believe enough in God. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God, whatever it may be. And if that's you, I'm sorry. Wherever you learn that from, whether it's from a church or a person or just society as a whole, it's a lie. You can have great faith and still struggle. Have you ever read the Psalms? Have you ever read about people like Elijah? These people dealt with some major mental health struggles. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks is these issues that some of these people have. In fact, let's jump in right now. We're going to take a look at uh, a guy. Uh, We're going to study Psalm 88. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can go to Psalm 88. It's about halfway uh, in your Bible if you have a hard copy one. If you don't have one, no worries. It's going to be up on the screen. I would encourage you to download the Bible app. It's a great resource as well. Or if you need a Bible, man, we'd love to get you one. We don't need your name or your money. We have people who have been very generous to our church, and so we give Bibles away. I mean, it's the number one stolen book anyway, so just swipe it as you're heading back to your, your car. It's right underneath the connect tent. You're not swiping it. It's for you. Psalm 88. Let me tell you a little bit about this, because I think when you read the Psalms, you have to understand who's writing them. And if you can understand who's writing them and, and you understand a little bit about what they're dealing with and they're going through, then it gives you some context to what they're writing and maybe some context to be like, oh man, I, I kind of see myself in their story. So Psalm, all the Psalms are written by uh, different individuals, obviously. Uh, one of the main ones that wrote most of this, or a lot of the Psalms, is David, King David, that we just talked about, who struggled with massive despair and all kinds of other stuff. And he wrote a large portion of the Psalms. But Psalm 88 was not written by David. It was written by a guy named He-Man. Now let's stop right there for a second. Okay. <laughs> Because I think that's got to be probably the coolest name in the Bible, right? Like, I love when I hear when people, are, you know, they, they get pregnant, and I'm like, oh, what, what are you going to call them? I love hearing names. And some people come up with, like, super creative names and all that. And a lot of people come up with, like, very biblical names. They're like, okay, Adam or David or Paul or Mary or Elizabeth. We hear a lot of, like, biblical names. But there's a lot of names in the Bible that you don't hear very often, right? Like, when was the last time you had a friend named Judas? You know, it's just like... Not a name that you typically hear all that often. Or, like, I don't really hear a lot of people calling their kids Satan, right? <laughs> you might call your kids Satan, but that's not their name, you know? Or He-Man, not a name that you hear very often, right? Now, if you're old like me, when you hear the name He-Man, you don't think of uh, the biblical character. You think of the master of the universe. <laughs> that's who you think of right here. He's got weird legs, man. I'm sorry. I got a lot of these guys. I got like two bins full of, of, uh, of He-Man action figures. One day I'm going to figure out they're worth a lot of money and I'm going to be able to pay off the building. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to like sell all these guys. A bunch of He-Mans will pay off our building. Uh, 
But you, you've got this guy, and I was like looking for all, you know, all, the, all the big ones, right? Like Shira and, and Skeletor and all that. I found Mossman. Uh, Mossman's got like a broken leg or like a crazy sidekick thing. Also, uh, he feels really strange. So if you, um, if you want to come steal him, you can. Uh, as I was looking for Skeletor and those guys, I couldn't find him, but I did find Hulk Hogan and Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. Uh, so kind of in the same, same genre a little bit. Uh, my, my, I needed one day to put these away because uh, my wife last year said, Ernest, you got to stop playing with them. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not the He-Man who wrote Psalm 88, okay, just so we're all on the same page. Let's, let's jump in and figure out who this guy is. Verse 1 says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Stop there for a moment. So this guy, he knows God. I mean, this isn't a guy who doesn't know who God is. He actually knows. He's written scripture. I would say he's closer to God than I've ever been. Like, you're not going to find my name in scripture. Like, I wrote that. No, it's not going to happen. Like, this guy clearly knew who God is. And then when you search scripture, you see He-Man multiple times throughout. In 1 Kings chapter 4, we're told that he has great wisdom. Uh, in 1 Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 16, we're told that he's a great musician and that he actually leads worship for the nation of Israel. He's not like a worship leader for a church. He's a worship leader for the nation. Like, this is a big time dude. I mean, this isn't like some small guy like me. Like this, this guy like knows his stuff. He follows God. He's got great faith. In 1 Chronicles 25, we're told that not only does he have service to the king, so he's in, he's in the palace, he serves the king, but we're also told he's got 14 sons and three daughters. Like this is a guy that the nation would have been like, hey, be like him. Like, if I can only be like He-Man, then, you know, I also would be master of the universe and would have great kids and I'd be a worship leader and all of these things. And then it continues, verse 3. I am overwhelmed with trouble. Stop there. Of course he is. He's got 17 kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I would be too. And my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. And that went south real quick. You've got this guy who's a worship leader. He's in the service of the king. He's been given great wisdom. God has blessed him tremendously. And now he's going, God, where are you? If you continue the story, you see that he says, well, God, you've put me in this pit. You've left me. I'm here to die. I'm like the dead already. God, I cry out to you, and you don't answer me. He lets it all go. He's very vulnerable. He's real. He's raw. And guess what? I, I don't think God's going, come on, he may man up. Be the master of the universe like I created you to be. I think God's a big boy, and he can handle our complaining, our rawness, our realness. Like, God, this is what I'm dealing with. That's why it feels like you've abandoned me, God. Why have you left me to die? Where are you, God? Like, I don't think God's like, oh, come on, people. Have a little bit more faith. I think God's like, draw near to me. Be honest with me. Be real with me. And then look at how he ends the psalm. Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken me from me, friend and neighbor, darkness 
is my closest friend. That's how he closes it. Now, if I'm writing this, I want to put a pretty little bow on it, right? Like, but God will rescue me. God will do, like, bring some positivity here, he man. Like, give me some hope, but there's none of that. He says, darkness is my closest friend. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever thought, man, I don't know another way out? Like, I don't know what else to do. It feels like I've been abandoned. It feels like people have turned on me. Maybe it feels like God has turned on me. And darkness is your closest friend. There's some of us, that's where you are right now. With a group this size, I know that there's many of us in here. Well, man, that's where I'm at. I feel like there's just darkness surrounding me. Like I can't catch a break. I feel anxious all the time. I'm fearful. I'm dealing, whatever it may be. It feels like there's no light, that there's no hope, that it just keeps raining and pouring. And if you're not there, if you're being a good neighbor, if you're loving people well, there's somebody in your life who is there. Here's what I know over the last four years, man, it's been some of the hardest four years that I've watched people walk through, that I've walked through. I mean, in the last four years, I've seen more people deal with depression, suicide, despair, trauma, than any other time that I've been in ministry. I've been in ministry for over 25 years, and this has been the hardest four years I've ever seen people go through. There is a lot of people walking through mental health challenges right now. And thank God we're in, a, we're in a time where it's becoming a little bit more acceptable to talk about, but in the church, it's still very taboo. It's still very scary to go, oh, can I share this? Can I let this out? Which, which breaks my heart. Let me say this for everybody that's in here, because I need you to know what type of church we are, what type of pastor I am. Here's what I'd say. If getting, that getting help isn't a sign of weakness, it's a sign of wisdom. Like if you need help, if you're walking through something, getting help isn't a sign of weakness. It's not like, oh man, I really wish you could do better. I really wish you were stronger. I really wish you would just believe more. Now, getting help is a sign of wisdom. It's like, man, I, I, I can't pull myself out of this. Like I keep trying and it's still dark. It's still painful. There's still trauma. There's still shame. And as a church, we want to help. That's why we're here. Say, man, what what can we do? How can we resource you? I mean, the message series hubs that we do, we do a series hubs uh, for every single series that we do. We we create this hub on our website where we give resources. We always give something to read, something to listen to, something to watch. Just to help you grow deeper in your faith, grow deeper in whatever scriptures we're studying, whatever topics we're talking about or whatever. And for this series, I would say, man, please check it out. Because we've placed a ton of resources on the series hub to just go, what do you need help with? Here's the next step. What do you need? Here's the next step. Because we want to help as a church. We want to walk with you in whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through. Because getting help, seeking help is a sign of wisdom. I love this passage in 1 Thessalonians. It's one of my favorite passages. It's chapter 5. Here's what it says. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The one who calls you is, say it with me, the one who calls you is faithful. Let's try that again because there's more than 12 of you in here. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. May the God, may God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. May he bring healing and wholeness is what that means. Through and through. And he says he will do it. He is faithful. He will do it. But I think that God also expects us to move. That's one of the things that we're going to see throughout Scripture, throughout studying these different characters, is that God's not like, I'll just sit there. I'll do it all. There's like some steps that we are to take. Because it takes faith, right? And faith isn't faith without you stepping forward, without you stepping out, without you trying, without you going, okay, God, I'm going to trust that you're saying this or you're calling me to do this, you're telling me to do this, I'm going to step forward now. That's faith. So it takes steps from us. So what does that look like? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you four things that we'll talk about throughout this series more and more. And here's what I know. And here's, I, I want you to understand, I'm not trying to simplify mental health into just four easy steps. I don't believe that. If you know me, you know I don't believe that. But what I will say is if you want healing, you want health, you want freedom, these four steps have to be a part of the equation. Like, it's not as simple as, like, if you just do these four things and, boo, everything's great. But these four things have to be a part of the equation for healing and wholeness and sanctification and all of that to come into light. And I'll, we'll prove that to you throughout the rest of the series. The first one is confession. Confession. Confession to God, confession to others. The Bible tells us when we confess to God and we confess to others, we are forgiven of our sins and we are healed. So if you want forgiveness, if you want healing, if you want freedom, confession has to be a part of it. What does that mean? It means exposing what is in the dark. Like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Hey, I need you to know that right now I'm, I'm walking through some massive anxiety. Hey, I need you to know right now, man, I, I'm struggling with depression. I need you to know right now I've had some suicidal thoughts. I need you to know right now that Man, everything feels so heavy, and there's times I don't feel like I can breathe. That's confession. It's just getting into the light what is in the dark. And the enemy to your soul, Satan, the last thing he wants to do is bring anything into the light. He wants it to stay hidden. Because if it can stay hidden, then you don't deal with it. It can't be healed. It can't be restored. It's got to be brought into the light for God to be like, okay, we can do this. You've got to admit it. That's always the first step. In any, any uh, uh, recovery program, or anything, it's like, you've got to admit first. There's got to be confession. Second thing is counseling. I've said a thousand times up here, I, I believe that everybody needs counseling. Like, as, as good as we can try to do as parents, my kids, I know, are going to need counseling. Your kids are going to need counseling. It's just how much and how often. You know, like, that's, that's, a, that's really the... The question, how much money are you going to spend on it? You know, type thing. Counseling is essential. It's essential. And here's what I always say about counseling. Counseling typically starts as reactive, meaning that like something happens in your life, and you're like, 
okay, this is too much. I need to see somebody. I need some help. And so you go see somebody for help. That's reactive counseling. I would say, what if, what if we got to a place where all of us, our counseling was proactive? Like we're like, you were just constantly going. And at some point, and both Sarah and I, our counselors have said this to us, like, hey, you probably don't need to see us anymore. And I'm like, I appreciate you not just stealing from me. That, that feels nice. But no, I actually would like to keep coming to you. Maybe not as often. That's fine. But I'd like to still keep coming. Because if it's a step that actually helps you get healing, where your counselor is like, I think you're pretty good. Why would you stop? Just keep it going. Keep it going. We have some incredible counselors in our church. Incredible counselors. And I'm not one of them. Okay? Anytime I talk about counseling, and I'll get a bunch of emails asking to meet with me. And here's the deal. I'll meet with you. Just know I'm not a professional. And I'm more like triage. So I'm like, oh, okay, you've got something serious happening. Cool. And then I direct you to where to go from there. We've got incredible counselors in our community and right here in this church. Counseling is essential, I believe, to every, everybody's healing and wholeness. Number three is community. Community. We all need community. In fact, when you look in Scripture and you look at some of these stories that we're going to look at, not one person, and I dare you to try to find this person, not one person in Scripture was dealing with mental health issues and then isolated themselves and somehow got healing. Not one. You won't find it in Scripture. You won't find one person. Because that's not how God wired you. God wired you for community. He wired us for one another. We have to have one another. Like when I meet with you and you meet with me, we're like, ah, we're both humans. Like we're both broken. We both have things. This is great. And now I can serve you and you can serve me. And that's what community looks like. Last week, I know the, the weather was terrible. I, I love it that it snows basically Saturday night almost every week during the winter. Praise God. I know last week was terrible. We launched our community groups, our new semester of groups and classes and all of that. And I would say, man, if you're not in a group or if you need another group or you aren't in a class, please consider joining one. We have men's groups and women's groups and couples and young adults. and every, Like our kids are in groups right now. Our students are in groups right now. Why not us? Why not us join one as well? And if you're like, man, I don't know if I'm ready to like dive into a community group where, you know, people get to know my stuff and all of that, then join a class. We have Celebrate Recovery, Celebrate Recovery. We just launched it uh, not even a month ago. And what a cool ministry that allows people to come in and whatever you're dealing with, anything you're dealing with, addiction, mental health, anything you're dealing with, you can come in and find freedom and healing. Starting a, a grief share group where, man, if you've gone through loss recently, or maybe it's been years and you just are still working through that, and consider joining Grief Share. You can get all that information on our website, or you can check the, there's a, on your Connect card, there's a box that says Community Groups. Just check that. We'll follow up with you. We'll give you all the information that you need. But again, I'm not saying like if you do these four things that, yeah, you're just going to be immediately healed. But what I am saying is that healing and freedom don't come without these four things happening. I am saying that. And community is one of those because that's how God wired us. And the last thing is commitment. Commitment to your faith. 
One of the saddest things that I, I, I've watched over and over as a pastor is when people are walking through mental health challenges, they begin to distance themselves from other people and from the church. And they kind of pull back. And I get it, man, because like, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of pain. There's probably some anger at God and some frustration, all of that. Let me tell you, that's not how you get healing and freedom is by pulling away from God. The only way you get it is by leaning into him, like making a commitment, man, I'm going to be at church. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I was just talking with a buddy right after last service. He's like, man, I'm just struggling right now. I'm like, dude, I get it. I've been there so many times. Like, if you're like, man, I just don't feel it in my faith life right now. Like, you're not the only one. I'm a pastor and I've been there. But it doesn't mean you stop. You keep pushing in. You keep trying. If you're having marital issues, it doesn't mean you just walk away from each other. That's not how you fix it. That's literally never resolved itself that way, in a healthy way. You press in. You lean in. Spiritually, you lean in. Now, again, I'm not trying to minimize mental health, okay? So please hear me. Please hear me. I know I've already said it multiple times. I'm going to say it again. Just because you do these four things doesn't mean you're going to find healing and freedom. But if you want healing and freedom, you have to do these four things. They have to be there. They're absolutely essential. And again, we'll keep proving it every week in Scripture as we hit these different characters and what God told them to do, what they ended up doing to find healing and freedom in their own life. Here's what I want to do. I, want to, I just want to quote some Scripture over you. I just want to read God's Word over you. I believe that God's word should be the most important voice in our life. Unfortunately, for most of the world, it's not. And even me as a follower of Jesus, it's a struggle sometimes to make God's word the most important voice. Like God's word should be more important. His voice in my life should be more important than my wife's, than my kids, than my community group than my friends, than anybody, than you, than anybody else. But as I'll talk about next week when we deal with anxiety, for me, there's so many times where I care more about what you think and what you say than I do about what God says. And it causes major issues for me. God's word should be the number one voice that washes over us, that renews us, that heals us. So I'm gonna ask you just right now, just if you could close your eyes. And if you're walking through mental health issues right now, I want you to receive these words for you. These are for you. And if you're like, man, I'm, I'm not walking through that right now, then I want you to think of somebody in your life who is. Think of a friend, a family member, a neighbor, somebody you know that is, and I want you, as I read these, I want you to pray these over them. Just pray these over them. These all come from Psalms. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Those who hope in in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar 
on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. Father, I ask that you would be close to the brokenhearted right now. God, to those of us who are walking through any type of mental health struggle, some of us, God, it's the anxiety that we're walking through. It just seems so chronic and debilitating at times. Father, for others of us, it's depression. Others of us, it's loneliness or insecurity. Others of us, we're just paralyzed by fear. Or God, we feel like there's such a weight that we're carrying right now with our kids, the future of our country, our work, our finances, whatever it may be, and things just feel heavy. God, be near to the brokenhearted. God, I pray that you would heal those who are crushed in spirit right now. Father, for those of us who, God, are walking through massive despair right now, it just feels like things keep getting stripped from us. Like things just keep getting taken away. Relationships, family members, loved ones, jobs, hope. We feel like He-Man did. And yet, God, we want to be people who, God, are close to you. We want to be people who worship you, God. But God, we need you near us now. Father, for those of us who would say, man, I, I'm in a good place. God, I pray, pray that you would put somebody in our life that may, may not be. And that, God, we would pray for them. And that, God, we would be ever so bold to invite them to this series. God, knowing that an invitation could lead to a transformation in their life. God, may we be bold and courageous in praying for them and choosing to invite them, knowing that, God, it could change everything. And I ask, God, that over these next few weeks, as we come, as we commit this time to you, we ask, Father, that you would speak, that your voice would be so loud and so clear in our lives. God, you would bring healing and restoration. I didn't plan on doing this, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to last service. I'm going to do it again here. Keep, keep your eyes closed. And I'm just going to ask you if, like, right now you would say, man, I, I, am, I am walking through some mental health struggles right now. Let's just go ahead and bring that into the light. Like, let's be bold enough now to be like, yeah, that's me. So if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or stand up and share what you're walking through or anything like that. But if you were to be bold enough for me in this moment to say, yes, I recognize that I'm dealing with this pain. I'm dealing with this trauma. I'm dealing with this depression. I'm dealing with this anxiety. 
I'm dealing with this heaviness, this stress, this weight in my life. You could say, man, I, that's me. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, I'm between you and your neighbor. If that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. Say, man, that's where I'm at right now. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you. So many. God, thank you for each one of these individuals. God, you know their story and you love them so much. You love them so much, God. And I pray for healing. And I'm not praying for healing one day, God, on the other side of, of glory, on the other side of heaven. I'm praying for it right now, God. I'd be so bold that right now, Father, we come to your throne of grace and we beg you for healing now, in Jesus' name, now. We ask you, God, to heal, God, to restore, to redeem, to set free, God, to bring about freedom, to bring about the healing, to bring about the life, God, that you promise us. We're asking you, God, now for it. Not next week, not even tomorrow, right now, in Jesus' name. God, be close to us. May we feel your presence. May we know you are here. And may you restore us. As your word says, you are faithful and you will do it. In Jesus' name.